Welcome to the Marxist Think Tank podcast, an attempt to look at the world from a class-conscious perspective and to build. It's 9.03 on the 11th of February 2022 uh, in Beijing. Good morning. Good morning, Jen. Good evening to Americans. Hi, good evening. Yeah. Mm-mm-mm. Okay, great. Yes, it's the MTT News of the Week. Welcome. This week or today, we will be covering Johnson & Johnson have switched production of their COVID vaccine in order to pursue a more profitable alternative. South Sudan has reinstated a royal family 115 years after its last king was killed fighting British colonial rule. We'll also be talking about the Starbucks unionization drive, which has been mentioned by Jacobin, an update on that. We'll be talking about... Um, Chinese satellite, a Chinese rubbish collector satellite has been spotted in space cleaning up old satellites. An article from Jacobin on corporations will literally kill you to turn a profit. Pablo Escobar's hippos face an uncertain future. Uh, In Mauritius, an ecological survey of the Chagos Islands, which are disputed with Britain and the home of the U.S. airbase Diego Garcia, uh, will be taking place. We are going to be talking about the truckers' strike in Canada, or the truckers' Uh, the in- incident going on with the truckers, the occupation of Ottawa with, with the truckers. <clears throat> There's also been a massive breakthrough in nuclear fusion technology in the UK. The Olympics, the Winter Olympics have opened in Beijing and Eileen Gu uh, has won a gold medal for China. Starlink satellites, so that's Elon Musk's company Starlink, um, their satellites have been seen burning up into the atmosphere. Uh, Uganda has to pay Congo $325 million for invading it during a conflict in the early 2000s. We also have uh, in this episode a an update to the Ukraine situation from the Russian perspective. We have an interesting commentary from uh, a top um, individual from the Moscow University, which trains the diplomats or experts for the Russian foreign ministry and his view on the Russian side to the Ukrainian crisis. And in the end, we have a video from Jonathan Pye to share you about with you with about from uh, sorry <clears throat> about Boris Johnson. So um, let's begin with the truckers in Canada. So uh, mm-hmm. Jin, we've got a massive strike, or I don't know what to call it—a protest, a strike, an occupation. It seems to be sure, yeah, all of it, all of the above. Describe it, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so maybe let's just describe first. So so this started, I think. Mm. If you actually look at it, it actually started more like two weeks ago or three weeks yep. ago. It wasn't this week necessarily, but it really has come to a head. So go ahead. Yeah, so uh, it's this, um, uh, uh, like you said, first of all, it started, uh, it first started as like a, a more of a Canadian kind of thing mm-hmm. uh, against uh, the mask mandate. Uh, and it's kind of this. Uh, Already, it was beginning to show the sign of uh, just how far the Western left, uh, in this case specifically on the North American continent, has detached itself from the working class. Instead of caring for the working class and workers, it cares more about uh, being uh, informationally correct, uh, as in like, Mm. uh, so please refer to our uh, last episode with our our honored guest, Vasio. Who uh, mm-hmm. talked about um, it's the more than just politically correct, right? Because what we call being politically correct comes from this kind of uh, institutionalized control of uh, information, uh, and then calling it uh, science, right? Uh, 
So uh, the left has uh, here in the West uh, after the fall of the Black Panther Party and all that uh, has definitely moved on to like caring way more about uh, aligning with that and aligning with imperialism than aligning with workers. So then what happens? Well, the workers, they're still there. Mm-hmm. So if the left doesn't take them, the right will. Right. And so uh, we are seeing that uh, when I first heard about this two weeks ago, um, it uh, was uh, held in Canadian politics as like a victory for grassroots right-wing uh, 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 politics. And uh, Canadian politicians have uh, taken some new Canadian politicians wants to, to take this opportunity to like brand themselves as like one of those people. To uh, basically do all the tokenism of like dressing with like casual shirts, talking uh, in like uh, playing language and slangs to try to get you know votes, the, the classic political stunts. And the greater point, I would say, uh, and why we're covering this story first, um, at least from my perspective, you know, none of these uh, shows are like pre-rehearsed or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, is that. Um, we have a very peculiar dialectical situation, which is that on the one hand, yes, this uh, total control of inf- this liberal total control of information, uh, and uh, this uh, uh, the, the the subsequent kind of uh, liberal government uh, uh, behaviors that is based on profit mm-hmm. for corporations instead of the benefit of the people. That's very fascistic, right? Uh, that's just straight up uh, 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 fascism in the sense of like this unquestioned authority that is in service for finest capital, uh, whether directly mm-hmm. or indirectly, whatever may be the case. Right? Hitler served uh, a Western finance capital indirectly. Yeah. So uh, in that sense, it's just straight up fascism. So it is correct to protest against that. But at the same time, it uh, brings about the collapse and the balkanization of the United States even further, because like, what are they doing? Well, they're uh, basically dumping fuel, gasoline onto the burning fire that is the uh, breaking down, that is the uh, the deteriorating American uh, supply chain, right? Mm. And uh, the supply chain is the backbone of a nation in, in or any society, mm-hmm. in, you know, just ever since the first mm-hmm. days of mm-hmm. antiquity and recorded history, right? Um, and uh, to be adding fuel to that fire by not only shutting down transportation, but uh, uh, like uh, straight up occupying the biggest highways, uh, routes uh, between the U.S. and uh, Canada borders. That's what they're sure. doing. Yeah. It yeah. brings about a situation yeah. where, yes, it is correct to bring down the kind of uh, imperialist apparatus. There's no doubt about that. But what there is doubt about is that uh, is there a sufficient socialist plan to be able to maintain the lives of the working class people of this continent once everything has indeed gone down the drain? The answer is no. I'm just going to very simply tell you, like, everybody is um, does not have a plan for that. Nobody does. The people that has a plan has a plan for, like... Uh, themselves, there are only like very few uh, elite groups of uh, how they're going to uh, bail it out of America, or, or whatever. Or, uh, or another exception, maybe like cults, who uh, have yeah. uh, a few hundred, you know, people with uh, a few hundred uh, uh, guns, uh, uh, and uh, they are able to like do some sort of um, uh, like a, a, a 
Waco type uh, uh, shenanigans. Right. Yes. <laughs> uh, like it's it's a very complex situation of a race, a, a kind of race to the bottom, really. Yes, so yes. that's um, right. I was like right, uh, right, to right. talk any further about this from a socialist angle was to be talking mm -hmm. about um, you know uh, socialist organizing and uh, the principles of organization of uh, yeah uh, state building and all that, which would be way too uh, boring of a conversation. So I'm going to pause it here and see what. Sure, you sure, sure. No, no. I think I think I wanted I wanted to comment on uh, the, the first few things you said there, which. Mm -hmm. If you think about this, yes, as a well, right. So, as you mentioned about having an elite, I suppose an elite gatekeeping sort of like follow institution, follow in, follow an authority, listen to mm -hmm. the big uh, clever man. Um, you know, refer to authority, and I suppose you, you said it was fascistic in nation, nature, mm -hmm. or whatever. But um, I, I think this does remind me of a couple of other movements that have happened across the over the last sort of ten years, or maybe eight yeah. years where you've had a movement emerge and you have a discord or a sort of a split amongst the, the left. So this is where you can see um, mm. gaps emerge or inconsistencies between this idea of the left. So you have the, I guess, more middle-class, upper, um, I suppose, educated, whatever you want to call it, sort of blue-collar, also white-collar yeah. um, left, if you want to call it that, who call themselves socialists and communists and leftists and they stand, they'll talk about the working class. Uh, but then when the unsophisticated working class does do something, they have all these commentaries and all these criticisms to make and, and are very sort of, um, you know, there's almost like a, a fly in their soup about how it appears. They're like, oh, yeah. oh well, it's, is it a convoy? I mean, they're all, and the first thing you'll see, the first casualty of, of this conversation is usually that they're not working class. So, this this also happened with like people not being willing to accept that January sixth was also some, uh -huh. a, a large element of the working class and, yeah. and Trump supported our working class. So there's a real sort of um, the first casualty here has been that these truck drivers aren't working class because they have a truck, they own their truck, so they own the means of production. So they're um, they're not working class. They're 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 petty bourgeois. So this is usually the first. Well, thing. No, I mean, well, there might there might be. Some there might be some truth to that, sure. That they, they have the yeah, but like, I just but want to make the remark. Save away driving many hours. I don't really think right. Like, what does that say then about uh, the people that are making those comments, who are just yeah. sitting on their phones and uh, laptops all day uh, on Twitter, uh, uh, right, complaining right, about right, 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 right. Uh, being being a, a pundit? Like, are they working class? Yeah. No, absolutely not. Right, 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 right. So, so, so the, the thing about this is that the first casualty is no, they're not working class, uh, and then the next thing is, of course they will isolate and pick and say, okay, ah, look, there's a Confederate flag. There's a, there's a KKK uh, reference. Uh, these are white supremacists. They're racist. So, um, and those, these people are certainly in those groups. There are racists and white supremacists in these groups. There are people, there yeah. are pictures of people with Confederate flags. It's true. Um, and it's, you know, but the, if you notice though, this is also the same. They had the same thing for the, the Gilets jaunes, the, the yellow vest movement in, mm -hmm. in France. Yeah. There were also allegations that this was a fascistic. These were fascists um, to them too. There were also allegations like this made at the time. And also, if yeah. you come onto things like Brexit, you know, yeah. talk about Brexit, they're like, "Ah, oh, Brexit is it's a racist vote." Uh, meanwhile, it was the majority of the country. So apparently, now everyone in the UK was a racist. Uh, well, the majority of people in the UK were the racists, uh, and even people that were brown or black who voted for Brexit were also racists. Apparently, so this this thing of 
I suppose a split in the left where you've got the uh, I don't know what term to use here, but whatever the the upper side, the white collar side, the the the, the metropolitan left, which is upset, yeah. Uh, yeah. likes certain things in a certain way, and you know, um, then you have the the uh, the the deplorables, in the words of Hillary Clinton, yes, the, the working class in it's some just many respects. giant, yeah. giant, mutually reciprocating echo chamber, as we talked about before. Sure. It's just completely brain dead and that's the danger of it right when this kind of right. brain dead politics uh, gets out of hand this is this is what we get yeah 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 i think that the final thought on this one for me is um even amongst the truckers i think 85 percent of them are vaccinated so this whole thing is about vaccinations and mask mandates so i mean on the statistics it does seem that you know the people that are protesting are, I guess, a minority of truckers. Um, they don't represent all of them. But uh, again, should the left socialist communists come out and um, berate people that are kind of uh, really just concerned about their jobs? And this is about hardship. This is a protest about them losing livelihood. Yeah, um, that, That's at the heart of it. They, they, they are out there and protest because they're going to lose their jobs and going to lose yeah. their homes. There is one thing that the white collar... Uh liberal left that left has okay. a quotation mark around that uh, uh, that is not allowed to admit uh, is uh, if there's one thing that they're not allowed to admit is that it is the fault of the system uh, two things and it's a part of the same thing that one it's the fault of the capitalist governments in the first place to begin with for putting the people, uh, the masses, and especially the workers, into this kind of situation of a uh, kind of um, uh, fate to the complete, damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of situation. And two, mm -hmm. the only way to resolve that is not through more compliance with the same government regime that messed it up for everyone in the first place to begin with, but to build the true power of the people. For the people to gain, mm -hmm. uh, to be able to have uh, true power and gain victory, the, uh, you, what you'll notice is that uh, essentially uh, people can't admit to either one or the other, but you cannot be mm -hmm. both because being both simultaneously means that you're an existential threat to the entire imperialist uh, system. And well, isn't that what socialists are supposed to be? Like, right, 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 right. Okay. Well, let's move on to something a bit more um, positive and a bit more inspiring, rather than the uh, the cannibalism of the the left right. on its own own, own movements, um, potential at least allies, I suppose. Uh, nuclear fusion. So uh, there's been a breakthrough in nuclear fusion, which we mentioned at the start. So this is in the UK. Um, nuclear fusion. If you're not sure what that is, so normal nuclear energy is done by fission, so splitting the atom. This is fusion. So this is bringing the atom together. Hydrogen atoms brought together, and I believe the byproduct is helium. I'm, I'm not quite sure. But yeah. um, yes, so this, uh, here we go. So, <clears throat> sorry. Uh, so this was at a UK-based jet labor laboratory. Um, they broke the world record for the amount of energy it can extract by squeezing together two forms of hydrogen. Yes. So uh, if nuclear fusion can be successfully recreated on Earth, it holds out potential of what holds the potential of virtually unlimited supplies of low carbon low radiation energy okay so the experiment produced 59 megajoules of energy over five seconds so it's 
very small. Uh, this is more than double what was achieved in similar tests back in 1997. So obviously, it's not a massive energy output, but uh, so for example, just to just to give a context, that's sixty kettles worth of water. Um, quick comment: uh, nuclear fusion yep. is how the sun works. Uh, how it is able to stay uh, 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 highly, uh, yeah. continue to burn, give out uh, energy for billions of years and for billions of uh, more years to come, right? And so, of course, if, and you, if create, you are if you're on Earth, yeah. Sure. No, no, yeah. It, it, this <laughs> is something that um, people at Caleb Morpin and the CPI are very fond of as well. They love yeah. fusion, build fusion city. Yeah. Um, uh, if you are wondering, okay, but well, you know, China's more advanced, China's already done this. Uh, this facility, it's called the ITER facility, I-T-E-R facility. It's in southern mm -hmm. France, and it's supported by a consortium of world governments, including EU, US, China, and Russia. So this is not a East versus West project. Right. This is an international project. So we have to take some even more sort of positive from this and the fact that we have some global collaboration on this, which is good. And China and Russia are involved, which makes it more likely to be sold for a better price, at least particularly in this case. Sure. <laughs> Sure. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I don't really think there's much more to this. It's been, it's not a massive breakthrough. It's a, a significant breakthrough, but it's not like they've made the, um, you know, it's not like a fusion reactor has been made. So uh, I was listening to another uh, sort of some news podcast yesterday. The joke about fusion technology is that it's always 20 years away. 50, 50. They're like, it's, oh, God. It's oh, okay. 50 years away, <laughs> 50 years away for 50 years. But uh, they do feel like, it's coming along uh, that there is a, mm. this is a this is a, a significant breakthrough in the sense that we are marching towards fusion technology, fusion energy. But yeah, watch um, the world uh, break into chaos uh, once that actually <laughs> happens. At least right, in the right, current right. configuration. Well, sure. I, I, so my, my comment on this uh, is, um, it wasn't in relation to nuclear energy, fusion energy, but there was a story about or uh, some reports about solar energy uh, being problematic for some of the energy companies because it was just too cheap. Uh, it was too, they weren't, yes. make, they weren't, it wasn't profitable. So I was like, we can't, we can't do this because this, 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 we're capturing so much energy uh, that the, mm -hmm. the, the, you know, the, the, the value of how much we can sell it for, it doesn't make sense in the model and we won't make enough money. It's just the the entire energy industry in the Western world is that way. It's built like a pyramid scheme. Where every uh, chain in the process is like compartmentalized, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so therefore, in order for every ch part of the process to make profit, right? Uh, and after like three or four or five layers of uh, supply chain companies selling it to the next, to the next, mm -hmm. to the next for higher and higher and higher prices, mm -hmm. you get like a three hundred uh, uh, percent uh, uh, profit margin. Uh, uh, to where everything is way overpriced, but uh, at the end, of the day, it's unsustainable. At the end of the day, sure, right? Sure, sure. Like you said, it is uh, so cheap to produce and so cheap to install and so cheap to set up and can produce uh, so much energy. Uh, that uh, well, okay, depending on your climate, if you're like in some very foggy place that never sees the sun, then like forget about that. You know, right? But like in generality, right? Right, right. It, it, it works that way, and um. It's antithetical to capitalism, uh, just like. But even, even if you are in a, even if you are in a a cloudy place, so bear in mind you still have the grid, right? You still have a, electric cables, yeah. steel cables linking you up to where there is sun. So it just won't if, be like directly 
solar, like on your. Build. Oh, and you okay? Yes, yeah. If you're talking about so like off the grid man by himself with a solar panel, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, but you have another technology story for us, Jin. Uh, Starlink. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, two satellite uh, stories. Let's let's go with the 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 bad one first. Sure. The um, big science man, uh, <laughs> the Lord uh, uh, Lord Adeptus Mechanicus right. of Mars, mm. uh, Elon Musk's uh, uh, Starlink uh, project, uh, yes. uh, more than a dozen satellites uh, has been uh, destroyed by a mm. regular mm. kind of um, geological caused uh, 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 magnetic uh, uh, storm, I guess you can say. Yeah. So, like, what that is, is basically, like, the Earth, uh, the, the core of the Earth is uh, liquid, right? Liquid, yeah. molten lava, uh, metal. Uh, yeah. So, you, as metal parts uh, rub against uh, 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 each other, it, it generates a uh, magnetic, uh, 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 a magnetic field, right? Uh, that's yeah. how yeah. electric generators or anything works. So, uh, of course, the same thing, like, when you have a, a liquid ball of a giant amount of metal at the center of the Earth, uh, it'll create... Yeah, because it's liquid, it's swirling, right? Uh, as the planet yeah. uh, spins and travels throughout the space, uh, the cosmos uh, around the sun, uh, it uh, generates uh, electric, uh, magnetic irregularities that uh, space right. traveling things have to uh, watch out for. Right. So, uh, well, they yeah. didn't watch out for that. Uh, the whole philosophy behind uh, the, these kinds of projects. Adventures ran by Silicon Valley shenanigans uh, is that uh, you just pump out a load of um, future-looking pods or blocks or uh, whatever, and then it's it's like technological trash that's just like dumped into the environment, be it like uh, in Earth atmosphere or out in the atmosphere, completely mm -hmm. irresponsibly. And just mm. like grift your way to say anything like, oh, this is futurism. And so, like, this is the kind of stuff that happens. Uh, there's a very real risk with it. Ever since the Starlink ever came out, which is like way back in like 2017, I believe, if not earlier, you know, the, right. the, the, right. uh, I uh, was like already saying to my friends, like, this is not a good idea. Why? Because uh, when you have like that many small satellites that are irresponsible, hard to uh, damage control, uh, up there, uh, once they call uh, because like the near Earth orbit is already overcrowded with satellites, right? Right, right, right. And then, right. Uh, if one satellite is destroyed, uh, so like by definition, one piece shreds into like many more, right? And then those pieces are traveling at the speed that is faster than bullets to then mm -hmm. come into impact with other satellites, and then other satellites, and then other satellites. Uh, before you know it, you will have a domino effect of uh, uh, all near-Earth orbits, uh, anything uh, man-made, uh, uh, just being completely knocked out. That includes things, including, but not limited to, uh, GPS, how, uh, the guidance for planes, for uh, 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 ships, for cars. Uh, what, it gets only gets worse from here. Um, right, right. The internet runs through... Sure. Uh, uh, um, and uh, radio, uh, whatever kind of uh, communication that relies on satellites, anything. Uh, the global atomic clock, uh, uh, which assess the standardized time for every single piece of electronic device that everyone is using, mm -hmm. 
all of that is just completely gone if uh, sure, sure. Sure were to happen. And Starlink, and also uh, by uh, Jason, anything that's like Starlink, where you, like, you just irresponsibly dump hundreds of small satellites into the orbit, is going to be the perpetrator of exactly that kind of scenario. It is pretty worrying that this many sites. So just to correct you, Jen, it wasn't 12, it was 40. 40 of the satellites um, actually fell okay. out. Um, okay. So, yeah, yeah. So, so basically it was all, yeah, so they launched 49 satellites last week. Uh-huh. Um, wait one second. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, four, and 40, 49 were launched, 40 of them fell out. But yeah, just as you described, magnetic storm, uh, geo, geo, geomagnetic storm did this. Um, but yeah, you're, you're entirely right. Like, the model of having hundreds or thousands of tiny satellites covering all of near earth orbit with all the stuff that's already up there it's it's a little bit uh, you know concerning yeah because yeah, uh, no that's much, why no like countries like china and russia have been developing uh like uh, satellites that cleans up state uh, space well, debris well, well we will go straight into that one then yeah but yeah. um i mean i do think that uh, i don't, I don't want to berate and sort of you know beat on on, on old musk too much I mean, they, they, oh, they you are, can do you, that all day. There, I've got more coming if you want. Go okay, on. okay, then I'll, I'll be there. I'll be there. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, he is right now. They are providing internet to broadband uh, to people in New Zealand, rural New Zealand. So uh-huh. the concept is working. It is working. But so uh, right. I don't know enough more about it to defend it. So, but I, I know that people are using it. So let's go on to that story then about the um, mm-hmm. the Chinese satellite that has been cleaning up other other satellites so uh this was reported so this actually wasn't reported by the chinese um someone else saw it uh yeah. happening and, yeah. and commented on it so i'm sure find the story here we go um chinese space cleaner spotted grabbing and throwing away old satellites so last month a private satellite tracking company spotted a chinese spacecraft apparently grabbing and throwing a dead satellite away into a graveyard orbit. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, this satellite, so talking about, also you were saying about uh, dead, you know, yeah, dead satellites in low Earth orbit or any, in, in, in any orbit. Uh-huh. Um, this one, so apparently uh, this is a Chinese SJ-21 satellite was seen on January 22nd, changing its usual place in the sky to approach a decommissioned satellite, Compass G2. A few days later, it attached and then obviously uh, tugged it uh, into a different direction and, and flung it off onto a different orbit, a graveyard orbit that's not important to yeah. us, I guess. Um, but yeah, just talking about sort of, I guess, cleaning up your litter and looking after space, yeah. space in space. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, this particular satellite that they threw away uh, was also a failed satellite, a Chinese failed satellite. So this was a, a Compass G2 or Baidu C2, G2. So this is yeah. a Chinese Chinese version of GPS, basically. Yeah, yeah, one of their failed satellites that launched in 2009, and it's been just kind of stuck in space for more than 10 years. Um, Yeah, so they sent up the SJ-21 in in 2021. and You need to do that in order for space to be a sustainable option whatsoever at all. Because or else, like, truly, uh, you're... Just accelerating the inevitability of uh, locking all of humanity on Earth, and we will never be able to uh, 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 travel uh, anywhere to uh, that's not planet Earth ever again. Right, right. Uh, which, like, that's just that's just irresponsible to the highest degree. Sure, we, we should because, definitely... like, uh, understand that, like, if that if such a scenario were to happen, 
these space trash would stay in orbit for like hundreds of years, if not thousands. Yeah. So. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Be, uh... It's something that has to be done in order for any country or entity to call itself like a responsible uh, 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 agent, uh, a responsible actor in you know the space. Uh, yes. Uh, sector. Yes. No, I think. I think so. I agree entirely. I was going to play the video here, but it's just—it uh, looks like there's lots of noise coming out of this video, so we're going to skip that ah, and not play it. Okay. But to be honest, it's just general footage of a rocket taking off. There isn't actually video of this, um, you know, thing. Yeah, there was a drawing of there's a, a picture. Uh, to be honest, yeah. it's completely not, definitely not what it looked like. Right, exactly. Like, it looks like a claw from one of those machines that you have as a kid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. Um, so no, no, it, it, it didn't. We, no one, I don't think that's what it looked like. No. Um, so right. let's move on to our next one. So yeah, space, we should respect space and not leave litter in space. So um, we've also then got this story about, uh, let's talk about, yeah, Eileen Gu in the Olympics. So obviously Winter huh. Olympics opened last week in Beijing. I was very lucky. I managed to go. I got, <laughs> to, I got to go and watch it, which is awesome. Um, great ceremony. A lot of procedures to get in because of the COVID bubble and all that kind of stuff. But Worth watching, and um, I do recommend watching it. No offense to Tokyo, I do feel like this opening ceremony was a lot better than theirs. Oh, there is a lot of shenanigans with the Tokyo Olympics. That, uh, I don't, think, right. I'm not sure if we have time for today, but uh, I don't think we have time to discuss it all. Yeah, in the no. that. but I, th I think we should cut straight to our two stories for this. So the first one is um, about the Wego uh, thing. So they picked two people to light the flame. Uh, to carry the torch at the last moment to light the a giant snowflake, which was made up of all the country's mini snowflakes, very beautiful piece of piece of art there, and they had used uh, older athletes to carry the flame. So an athlete from the 1950s and the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, and then the last two athletes were both born in 2001, so they're whatever 20 or 21 years old. Oh, wow. younger than me. <laughs> and they lit the flame together, and the, and one of these. Uh, athletes was uh, a Wego. Uh, and so the you know New York Times and the West went crazy. And uh, the Global Times made an interesting comment on this when they said, you know, basically damned if you do and damned if you don't. So oh, right. because they had used a, a, a Wego person to light the flame, um, firstly, the New York Times questioned whether this person was a Wego. They, they said a Wego heritage, Wego name. Uh, so sort of undermining the fact they may have even been one. Uh -huh. uh, but then also identified this as being provocative, so sort of taking taking the issue head on, sort of you know, oh they they just you know whitewashed it with Wagoness. Um, that was one line, and of course the other line was if they hadn't have you if they'd used anyone else. Oh right, where's the representative? would have said, oh they didn't mention the Wagos. There's where were the Wagos? There was no mention of it. They they ignored it. So this was. This or was better yet, uh, they uh, disappeared. They disappeared, Which, right? They, yeah, they, no, that's something they, that... They, they were, they, of course, they've all been killed. So, yeah, there's, yeah. None, there's none of them left anymore, apparently. Um, anyway, so that, that was that was the, the first story relating to the Olympics. The second one is about Eileen Gu. I don't know if you want to talk about this one, Jin, or not. Uh, not really, because, like, the controversy surrounding her and, uh, like, her joining China and becoming, you know, a Chinese citizen and for... Uh, well, that is the story, right? That, that is the interesting uh, Yeah, uh, like, how... Why I say that is, like, not out of anything against her. It's just the people that are against her and are making a controversy out of this. Yeah. Is your typical... Um, 
colony-minded, uh, colonially-minded uh, people. I mean, I don't even want to call them people. Uh, <laughs> that uh, thinks that the only form of naturalization or assimilation that's allowed is um, if you join a uh, a white settler colony. Mm. And that's the only uh, a legitimate or sincere form of uh, mm. expressing expressing and deciding what your nationality is supposed to be. Right, 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 right. How does that work? I mean, right now, like, China is, like, the only developing country that has rose to the status uh, where, like, shenanigans like this starts to happen on a larger and larger scale. Imagine what were to happen if... Um, other developing countries, uh, hypothetically, let's say uh, India or Ethiopia or uh, or Brazil, you name it, uh, uh, starts to develop uh, uh, towards a more and more advanced state of uh, 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 living standard and so on, uh, to the point where uh, their overseas diaspora wants to return to their homeland. <laughs> so, like, the rejection of this idea is just... Um, it's incredibly 1800s-minded. I don't think it deserves any recognition so. yeah I, I, yeah <laughs> if you aren't familiar she was 15 when she decided to change her nationality i, I, I believe and she's now 18 uh and she's now competing for china so she had to yeah. renege or drop her u.s citizenship and in order to compete for um for china and she won gold so uh, americans mm -hmm. a lot of american commentators are to use an American phrase, very butthurt about this. Um, <laughs> they are very salty, but salty. they have been salty uh, ever since the right, uh, right, right, barrage right, right. of Sputnik moments that China <laughs> brought upon. <laughs> right. Sure. <laughs> I mean, her mom is her mom was was you know grew up. Uh, she's from Shanghai, but grew up in Beijing. So mm -hmm. I think it's completely reasonable for her to, to compete right. for China. Um, oh no no you can only uh walk to join the the, the land of the free the yeah. the, the yes. uh uh yeah uh but the oh no you're it's like oh people shouldn't have individual uh, uh agency yeah. like what happened to liberalism right 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 <laughs> right, right 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 yeah so um uh, yeah again we're not going to go too much into this because it's at the moment the western press and a lot of commentators are kind of there's all sorts of bizarre stories coming out of the Olympics. So I don't want to get into all of them, but there's one about this Dutch news presenter who was in the street broadcasting during the opening ceremony. And um, some security guard was pushing him and trying to get him out of the street. And, and he was like, Oh, you see, this is what people in Beijing have to always uh, go over. You know, this is what it's like a dictatorship authoritative, really bizarre. Like if you, if you speak Chinese, the guy's just like, please, I've been sweating here. Like, come, can you just report from the pavement? Just from the pavement. Go over there. Just not here. So it's just. But yeah, no. And the, the narrative, uh, it's classic. The narrative is like, oh, right. interesting little tale. Uh, so in many countries, what journalists, uh, because like in the West, the profession of journalism is so heavily tied to all the three-letter agencies. And like the three-letter agencies, uh, if you look at their training uh, 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 lectures that's publicly available, deliberately says on YouTube that uh, some of their disguises are uh, as journalists. So oh, yeah, what oh, tends yeah. to happen is that um, they, uh, when, when they go to other countries, yeah, uh, other countries' security services are very uh, suspicious of these so-called journalists. 
Mm-hmm. And then they have a tendency of like knocking on your uh, apartment or hotel door and telling you that your visa is over, get out, you're uh, deported or whatever. Sure. But uh, in China, we don't have that. Our law enforcement system isn't built like that. Essentially, uh, it's not available in English literature because Western uh, information control doesn't like you know anything positive to do with China. But if you look at the written kind of um, decrees of the first premier of China, Zhou Enlai, which in the Chinese revolutionary history, uh, re- revolutionary history was the uh, Chinese uh, intelligence uh, underground operations head. What he yeah. basically said is like he has a very strict, extremely strict list of um, uh, protocols for like what the PRC security services are not allowed to do. Mm-hmm. Among those includes uh, like uh, secret kidnappings, uh, assassinations, secret uh, coercions of any kind, uh, except in the cases of um, hunting down uh, 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 traitors of the party that were party members originally. That's the only case where that's allowed. So then, like these journalists, they come to China with full, even if they're not of the three-letter agencies, they are perfectly innocent. They're under the impression that, like China, because of how it's like propagated out to be, and they're not aware of these kinds of protocols. Mm-hmm. Uh, that um, like we would be like sending security agents after them and and be knocking on their doors, setting up wiretaps, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, because well, that's what uh, the security services of other countries do. So um, then, like any time when like your uh, COVID nineteen uh, 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 prevention volunteers come knocking on your door, or like your local neighborhood uh, uh, committee uh, 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 volunteers that just like come to check up or like uh, give you like some like just try to explain to you like uh, 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 the how things work, like where's the trash, uh, mm-hmm. where's the laundry, and all that. They think that those people are uh, three-letter agency uh, spies. And since those people, because China is a very communal society for the most part, those people come pretty often. And they are like completely untrained in in, like any kind of spy activity uh, because they're literally just like people that lives in the neighborhood they think that they interpret that to be that china is such a totalitarian police state that uh secret agents are in every street blocking every neighborhood right right right, right. again completely brain dead a situation where you cannot convince them otherwise right right but like what do you do so here we are (laughs) right 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 right. yeah um (laughs) I don't even have time to comment on like how inconsistent people are about how yeah. uh, the narrative is already written, right? Authoritarianism, yeah. authoritarianism, China. So that's that's already decided. So you just fit fit the story into yeah. that. Yep. So we haven't got time to, to 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 jump through all the hoops and explain every single one of how the flaws of each of these stories. Or I mean, yeah, I think we have to. We have to that will always. That's going to come up again in another story. Yes, yes, we fully expect that. Let's move on from um, Eileen Gu. So that that was yeah, the Olympics, Eileen Gu, the opening ceremony, uh, Winter Olympics. So quick one, we need to go on to. So we've still got three more stories that we want to, um, uh, yeah, cover. So a nice article uh, from well. Usually, their analysis on certain things like China and the Soviet Union. Not great, but um, Jacobin has written an article about corporations, uh, which it's a short one. Corporations would literally kill you to turn a profit. So I should put this up for a second. Um, 
I don't know if you want to make any comments about this, Jin, before I read it. Uh, well, I mean, it's it's not Starling. Corporations will uh, ruin the future of entire human civilization in uh, order to make a profit. Yeah, uh, so, this yeah. article this article does mention some of the big hitting stories about corporations. So, Coca Cola killed trade unionists in Latin America. Yeah, uh, General Motors built vehicles known to catch fire. Tobacco companies suppressed cancer research, and Boeing knew that its planes were dangerous. Corporations don't care if they kill people as long as it's profitable. So this story, it's it's pretty good. It's not very long, only I don't know, probably eight hundred words or so. It's mainly talking about Boeing. Um, and if you aren't familiar, Boeing had the seven three three seven three seven Max, and in order for it to be more sellable to airlines. They packaged it as a complete new aircraft, which you didn't need to train your pilots on. You could just, if they had flown a similar older model of this aircraft, they could just jump from one seat to another, no training required because they were so similar. And they did that because, they said that because, of course, the airlines then wouldn't have to go, okay, well, if we buy these new aircraft, we have to spend X amount of hours training our pilots to use them. It would be a no-brainer. They go, okay, we just buy the plane and the pilot jumps in and that's it. Cool, great, cheap, perfect. We'll buy it, no problem. Yeah. I mean, uh, apparently, super fine. But the reason I was, uh, that, very one uh, second, the problem was that okay. the computer system they had installed yep. the uh, some sort of computer system, safety system that was different, and the pilots didn't know it existed. It wasn't even in the manual, and it did certain things, which led to those two crashes. Yes. I know exactly what that is because I oh, yeah. uh, was personally uh, tracking that story uh, when it first happened. Go ahead, go ahead. Essentially, uh, what it is is this: um, the seven three seven Max. What the difference between that uh, the, uh, compared to the original seven three seven, which has fallen for a long time, is uh, they essentially uh, put new engines on it, so that's more powerful and fuel efficient. So, uh, you know, the what's the selling point? Well, uh, two things. One is that uh, for all seven three seven aircrafts, you can just uh, not the only does the pilot uh, like not have to do any new training to get to, to fly the new aircraft, so you know saving cost on training. Uh, the airplane can just like uh, not uh, go through too many upgrades. Very simple engine swap, and then you're good to go. And uh, it was supposed to be uh, if everybody remember like there's like this thing between like uh, uh, Boeing and Airbus, right? The two big uh, civilian aircraft heads. Uh, leader, uh, industry leaders. So, like, it's the, the difference between like uh, two uh, aircraft, uh, uh, two engine uh, aircrafts, and four engine aircrafts. Yeah, so, like, the selling point of this is that, of course, uh, it claims that it can do the job of the Airbus four engine airliners with only two engines. That was the oh. main selling point. I see. Uh, but here's the problem. Not only is all everything that they're being said is true, uh, but um, so planes uh, have uh, needs to maintain uh, this very careful balance of uh, its center of balance and its center of lift. Mm -hmm. uh, if it's uh, too far off, the plane crashes. It tumbles, literally. Mm -hmm. uh, or uh, if it's a little bit far off, like the nose will tilt up or tilt down. So, uh, of course, uh, because they were saving on cost, they, when they slapped on the new engines that are bigger and heavier, they didn't redo the math. They did not want to redo the uh, weight distribution of the aircraft. So the, uh, they know like the center of balance is messed up. Mm -hmm. So in order to calibrate for that, 
you need uh, because it's not uh, uh, thrown off by too much. You can like counter that like by uh, computer uh, 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 systems, where like every time you notice the plane is like tilting in the wrong direction, it'll like the computer will like automatically pull back in the other direction a little bit. Uh, so that uh, overall the flight experience is smooth, and then you fly in a straight line as you would like to. But the problem is that they were trying to save cost on even that software, which is actually critical to the safety of the 737 MAX, mm -hmm. uh, because uh, they have messed up in the previous parts, right? Yeah. So uh, this software was sold to some uh, contractor in India who uh, had terrible programmers and coders. Uh, I wrote this like program that is completely once again brain dead. I think that's like a theme of today's episode and just like <laughs> capitalism in general. Where instead of micro calibrations that is very time sensitive, where anytime it starts to uh, do the tilting a little bit, it corrects it like right there. What it does is that um, the nose of the plane uh, tilts up. Yeah. And anytime it notices that the, the nose of the plane is tilting up uh, after like uh, say 30 seconds, it will like push the uh, control lever of the plane, yeah. no, of yeah. the uh, nose of the plane, just like downward by like a lot over yeah. like thirty seconds, uh, yeah. uh, like yeah. uh, in like one push. Yeah. yeah. So of course you can imagine, you know, plane gets to a not sufficient, uh, not sufficiently high enough altitude. Uh, when it starts to no notice the nose tilt, the computer just like pushes the plane downward. Mm -hmm. downward yeah. and yeah. downward again until it yeah. uh, crash even though no hardware uh, of the plane is like wrong nothing is wrong with any yeah. of the mechanics of the, uh, right. the aircraft and what's worse about that is that the pilot cannot override that yeah. Uh, yeah. you can hear on like the this mayday calls of these pilots during their last moments of their lives and the lives mm -hmm. of hundreds of passengers that uh, what what is going on? The the stick shift is like going down, and I cannot pull it back, no matter how hard I try to pull. Yeah, and yeah. I I have no control of the aircraft. I repeat, I have no control. Right, 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 right. Yeah, and, and these and then those two planes crashed. So a lot of people died. Because yeah, Boeing, because Boeing wanted to sell more planes. And yeah, actually, one of our comments uh, from uh, Cancer Box, yeah, uh -huh. FAA cleared that nonsense. Probably the most transparent example of corruption when the entire world grounded them so yeah, yeah. the faa supposed to be a an independent regulator perhaps uh ruling in favor of boeing so yeah good call oh yeah uh, china was the first uh, uh air aviation authority to shut that plane down to uh well, yeah, that, that that... Planes. And at the time well, like, the americans were really mad about it oh how dare you right, uh, right, right, right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do. I think probably because a lot of the passengers on one of those flights were Chinese. It was going to mm -hmm. Beijing, yeah. wasn't it? Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So let's move on from that. I mean, yeah, not not big. Not I mean, not a not a revelation. Corporations kill us for money or are willing to kill for money. Yeah. Who, who would have known? Who would have known? Yeah. Who guess which. Um, our last two stories. So we've got to sort of brush over a couple of things here. Firstly, we want to talk about. Uh, let's just do the Johnson and Johnson story quickly because it, it flows with the, um, the yes. people picking profit over of a people kind of thing. Companies picking profit of people. So mm -hmm. uh, this is from Reuters um, and New York Times together. No, sorry, Reuters. Um, no, sorry, New York Times. It talks about Johnson and Johnson. So Johnson and Johnson 
had a facility in Holland, uh, in the Dutch city of Leiden, uh, which was making its vaccine. So this is Johnson Johnson making the COVID-19 vaccine. Um, but production stopped um, last year. Um, yeah, because apparently um, they wanted to, they need, they were told to make, they started instead making an experimental but potentially more profitable vaccine to protect against an unrelated virus. So yeah, um, despite Johnson & Johnson making lots of other vaccines, in order to make money, even though we're in this global pandemic, they turned off the plant and switched it to a vaccine of some other <sighs> Conspiracy <So>. theory time. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I mean, this, this is, yeah. Well, go, you, you, are you going to make one or you say? Uh, oh. Yes, I'm going to make one. <laughs> go ahead. Uh, conspiracy, conspiracy theory, theory time. time. They discontinue uh, that vaccine because uh, it is the only deactivated vaccine that the United States manufactures. Mm -hmm. uh, it wants to go full mRNA vaccine, but mRNA vaccine uh, has... Uh, more uh, 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 shenanigans, let's just say, and uh, you know, uh, insert all sorts of like global depopulation conspiracy uh, uh, in mm -hmm. here. But yeah, sorry, just wanted to add that. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, so this goes well with the story about Boeing making planes that kill people so they can make money. Johnson yeah. and Johnson, at a time of global pandemic, switching to a more profitable vaccine for something that's probably not as uh, I don't know bad as, as the pandemic virus mm. uh, situation. So anyway, um, the last story uh, is actually <clears throat> coming back to this Ukraine-Russia situation. Mm -hmm. So the New York Times interviewed a, I have to find this story one second. Uh, where is it? Oh, yeah. Damn it. <laughs> yeah, the New York Times interviewed a, a foreign diplomat expert assistant. But one second, let me get this up here. The name of <laughs> is hold on yeah we go andrey sushensov so he's dean of the school of international relations at mgimo which is the elite moscow university run by the russian foreign ministry so i suppose we could say he does have an insight into russian foreign policy if he's yeah. you know, one of the deans of the school of international relations <laughs> so he described uh, the current standoff as only the first step in a drawn out russian effort to force the west to agree to a new security architecture for Eastern Europe. It was a characterization of the start of a more high-stakes phase in Russia's years-long conflict with the West that is gaining currency in Moscow's foreign policy circles. So Russia's aim, according to Mr. Sushensov, is to keep the threat of war ever-present and thus compel negotiations that Western officials have avoided until now. For too long, he said in an interview, people in Western Europe have been lulled into thinking that a new war on the continent was impossible. For Mr. Putin, that point of view needs to be changed, Mr. Susinchov said, to compel the West to accept Russia's demands. Quote, what's important in this suspense, this feeling is this suspense, this feeling of a pre-war situation. People are spoiled by an overly long peace. They think of security as a given, as something that is attained for free, rather than something that must be negotiated. This is a mistake. For the West, that approach could mean being drawn into a new sort of forever war, a conflict consuming ever more time and treasure with no clear exit strategy. The lesson of the chaotic Afghan withdrawal last summer to Mr. Putin may have been that the U.S. has no stomach for a distant conflict and Ukraine is distant to the U.S. but not to Russia. Okay, so um, um, I'm just seeing if there's anything else here in this thing here. Any thoughts on that, Jin? What are your, your thoughts? Um, specifically, uh, what uh, uh, this uh, person is talking about 
is mm-hmm. a very wise kind of uh, understanding of uh, politics as uh, how it has always been uh, for thousands of years. Uh, it's a uh, part of the rejection of the end of history as proposed by uh, right. you yes. know, Fukuyama and all that. Uh, that somehow uh, there's this uh, 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 sentiment going around that like the West and the world is like now completely just different. It has completely changed because modernity. But then if you actually look at like what has uh, materially changed in these Western systems and Western architectures uh, of the state of the uh, uh, finance and all that, uh, nothing, nothing has changed. Uh, so then, like, what, uh, you know, uh, Newton's law of physics, if uh, an object is continuing traveling in a trajectory, it will continue to do so unless an uh, outside force or change has intervened, right? Uh, well, in the West, certainly nothing like that has happened. And so to just uh, 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 hold up this delusion that, oh, war will never happen is a lie that uh, the West... Uh, uses through its narrative domination uh, mm-hmm. that it tells the people of the uh, rest of the world so that the people of those countries uh, put down their arms mm-hmm. uh, uh, so that the West can invade more easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, if uh, It's essentially like there's a Chinese general, uh, general uh, turned college professor uh, that uh, passed away in 2015 but before mm-hmm. uh, of a uh, uh, stum- uh, late stage stomach cancer, unfortunately, but uh, very devout communist. And what he said is the West's use of these kinds of uh, narrative and concepts uh, against uh, non-Western aligned, non-finance imperialism aligned countries mm-hmm. is much like the effect of uh, artillery barrage, mm-hmm. where you stun and uh, disable, cripple, and uh, d- disorganize. And uh, partially incapacitate mm-hmm. the uh, a, a nation uh, and a sovereign people before they can even put up a resistance to Western intervention. Mm-hmm. So, like, uh, of course, the New York Times is going to interpret what the uh, Russian right. uh, professor said as like, "Oh, Russia wants war," but in reality, like, what he is actually talking about is uh, pointing out this uh, hypocrisy uh, mm-hmm. and how it is dangerous to a sovereign people. And if uh, people uh, uh, collectively want their sovereignty, they should uh, resist that kind of nonsense, uh, capitalist, pacifist, I guess you can say, yeah. uh, narrative and actually uh, be real and be on a kind of a near peer uh, 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 level of conception and uh, right. uh, action uh, against uh, imperialism. That's right. what that actually right. means. And I, I, want, I want to make sure everybody walks away with the right idea. That's all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the last thing that that guy said, which which it's just direct quote, so we don't have to worry about too much analysis from New York Times bleeding into it, is that he says um, six months ago, no one was talking about um, shaking up the post-Soviet world order, and now you know Russia is yeah. drawing a line, land line in the sand, saying, "Say this is you, you, you shall not pass." You know, there's no yeah, yeah. no more expansion. Uh-huh. Um, you know, you, you said, no, we won't go beyond Berlin or we won't go beyond Germany. And now you're talking about or potentially, you know, gearing towards Ukraine becoming uh, a NATO member. And also bear in mind, yeah, like you said, this idea of, I think he says um, people in the West have gotten used to the idea of there being no more war. 
of, of peace of a you know we've, that we've moved is beyond not that the case that's, that's the thing right so so this exactly like, like you said the idea of oh this is the end of history there's no more wars but actually the u.s played a very heavy hand in ukraine uh -huh. 2014 uh -huh. Newland, as we've mentioned before handpicking the new ukrainian situation regime what are you going to call right. it um so yeah, the idea of peace is actually an illusion. There's not been right. peace in Iraq. There's not been peace in Ukraine. There's not been peace in Yemen or Palestine or Libya or Syria. So the idea of peace is is is, is only for the Western yep. consumption. The, the idea that other nations are, that that if you engage in in acts of war, that it's you, you're breaking the order. You you're disturbing peace, but it's not been. Well, peace. no, uh, other people deserve sovereignty too. I mean, if there is no sovereignty, how can they have people's politics, democracy? Not in the exclusively western sense but in the general sense if you cannot have sovereignty there yeah. is like nothing uh, and well you can right. determine nothing well like how do we know that we'll look at a u.s security forcing uh, forces intervention in like forever mm. since when did any of it work yeah. yeah so the last thing we're going to jump on to uh Jin, uh and for everyone is a wonderful piece from jonathan pie so if you don't know who jonathan <laughs> pie is I'm just I'm gonna play this clip. I'm not gonna play the whole thing. There's yeah. lots of swearing. So if you are with children or listening to this in your car, I don't know, just just bear in mind there's a lot of swearing in this video. Uh it's Jonathan Pye talking about Boris Johnson, and he makes some pretty great uh comments. Let me just yeah. get this one here, okay. Uh about Boris Johnson being a liar. So I'm gonna I'm gonna cut ahead. If you want to watch the whole thing, it is from the New York Times, an opinion piece, it's on YouTube, but I'll cut ahead to uh some of the good bits here one second uh of course if you're not aware boris johnson has been caught lying about these drinking parties uh so let's go here uh put the sound of you there he's a liar can you hear that jen trump yes. is the ease with which he tells porkies but boris is a product of a system that sorry porkies Porky pies, lies, cockney rhyming slang, you know, apples and pears, and you don't have that. Do you? No, of course you don't. American audience. Sorry, New York Times. Um, I Boris Johnson is a liar. Just keep, keep it simple. Stick to that. All right. Let's start from the beginning, okay? <clears throat> it began with a party. It seems there really might have been a Christmas party at Downing Street. Staff here in number 10 held a large party, seemingly breaking COVID rules. Two parties new allegations that he broke his own covid lockdown rules again 16 of them 16 separate piss-ups most of them when the rest of the country was in full lockdown you should not be meeting friends if your friends ask you to meet you should say no at a time when the prime minister was telling us all to have no social contact with friends colleagues and in thousands of instances dying relatives when the cops were handing out fines for anyone inviting more than two people over for a cup of tea the people who set those rules were having work drinks summer garden parties and later christmas office quiz nights but the one that got us really riled up two parties were held at number 10 the night before the Duke of Edinburgh's funeral. Boris was forced to apologise to the Queen when it emerged two of those parties took place the night before her husband's funeral. Um, the Queen, she's our head of state, a uh, bit like your president, but you know, she's in her 90s, so she's a lot younger than your guy. So on the day that the Queen sat... So pause there for a second. Um, a nice little slur against Biden there, but... Uh... This is pretty shocking image here. So 
talking about aristocracy and the bourgeois and all of this kind of stuff, you know, I know it's the queen. I don't like the queen. I'm not a fan of the royal family at all, but it is pretty going, uh, sort of goring, sorry, that you've got an old lady at her funeral, at the funeral of her, sorry, at the funeral of her husband. She's immortal, the... so yes, she's at her own funeral. I'm kidding. Right? She's at her own funeral, sorry, sorry. No, no. <laughs> but she's at the funeral of her husband, and no one else is allowed to attend or be with her or to sort of, you know, they have to socially distance. So it's just basically herself in this picture here. So even though it's the queen, not a fan, it's pretty terrible if the prime minister who makes these rules and tells the queen follow them and she can't have anyone else, you know, sort of a shoulder to lean on at the funeral of her husband. And at the same time, while she's sitting alone, funeral, they're getting pissed. Like the day before and the day, day after, they were getting like absolutely hammered and drunk at these parties at Downing Street. So pretty terrible press for Boris Johnson. And also the idea of one rules, one set of rules for the commoners and one set of rules for the elite, you know, that really rings true. But actually the, the irony being here that even... The, the rules weren't even applied for the queen. Even the queen was following the rules. Uh, and, you know, the, the Etonian aristocrats uh, were not. So I'm going to jump ahead to the part where he talks about Eton, just for a bit of laugh, uh, a bit of a laugh here. So here we go. Session of posh, upper-class, bumbling idiots who are destined for greatness only because no one has ever or will ever tell them they're not. Boris went to Eton, a sort of Hogwarts for wankers, where you get taught Latin and tax avoidance whilst wearing full evening dress. These people have never spoken to a real person in their life apart from perhaps their chauffeur. Then on to Oxford, where Boris Johnson was part of the infamous Bullingdon Club, a fun, elite social club for the boys. Activities included smashing up restaurants and burning 50-pound notes in front of homeless people, allegedly. But, you know, it was great fun at the time. So there you go. That's the last thing I'll share. So you can watch the rest of that somewhere. Um, uh, well, YouTube, sorry, in your own time. But I did like just the two references to, to Eton, as you just explained better than I can, a Hogwarts <laughs> wanker who learn yeah. how to dodge tax while wearing full evening dress, who've never spoken probably to a normal person. And yes, the Bullingdon Club, if you didn't know, that's a real thing. A club for people that went to went to Oxford and whatnot, elite club, dining club, which they would then go to restaurants and smash up the plates, break the place up. And because they have so much money, they would just then throw money at the restaurant to pay for the damages. So because they're so wealthy, they go to restaurants, destroy them, and just then pay. Um, I think also this is the same kind of culture for um, that that whole led to the whole thing with the pig that uh, David Cameron had sex with a pig. Uh, if you're not familiar with that story, too, something else you can read into. So the kind of stuff that these guys get huh? pretty, pretty serious with. Yeah, yeah. No, was, you can't just uh, measure that kind of stuff. Casually. I believe I believe it was the pig's head. I don't think it was actual dead pig. Uh, sorry, living pig. It was the pig was dead. But yeah, but uh, that's not dead. any better. There's something with a I think we're done for today. How about that? The elite is, uh, yeah, doing doing dirty things. But uh, those are the last two things we'll comment on for today. So next week we'll be back again um, to talk about the news of next week and the stories of next week. We'll have some more news from communist parties uh, as well as workers' parties, and we'll see where the truckers' protest goes as well as if there's any change to the Ukraine situation too. But on quite quite a <laughs> an unusual note um that's us yeah. for this week so thank you very much bye, -bye. and that is it for this episode of the marxist think tank 
Catch us every other week here on SoundCloud. To allow us for our reporting and our content to remain independent, please consider donating to our Patreon and becoming a voting member in the link down below in the description. If you have a news tip or would like to talk to us, please email admin at marxistthinktank.org. Our editor is Sean Sanchez. News writer and producer is Reggie Truman. And I'm Oscar Bastille. Thank you for listening.